Hey everyone, Pastor Matt from Susquehanna Valley Church, and I'm thrilled to be able to come and join you again for worship, for you guys to partner with us and watch. Um, if, you're, if you're a person who's just been kind of following along through all this and you've never been out to our physical location as church, uh, we want you to know that we still consider you to be part of our church, and we'd love for you to, to show up sometime when we can get back together. Um, we're in this series, Afterlife, that I absolutely love because I want us to have an idea of what's happening after we die. In fact, as I was kind of preparing for this particular message, I had a bit of like travel agent flair to it, thinking that this is, this is me trying to sell you on the idea of being excited about a, a trip that you're going on. And so I, I was going to wear my Hawaiian shirt, but I, I didn't want to look too summerish and out of place. So uh, you, get, you get a normal shirt, but I'm a travel agent today because I want you to be excited about what God has for you after you die. That's the Christian, me Christian message. You don't have to do a bunch of good things to earn heaven. Jesus showed up on the cross so that we could be in heaven with him. The Bible says that our forgiveness of our sins, which prevents us from going to heaven, is ours through Jesus Christ and faith in him. So we believe that he died on the cross. He rose again so we can live with him forever. Um, it's not about earning it. It's about believing and receiving it. And so that's the exciting thing. I do want to start out with like a really high note where I, uh, I read a quote this week that I thought was awesome as I was prepping for this afterlife, what comes after life for us. Um, and it's from Erwin Lutz, Lutzer, and he writes a book called One Minute After You Die. It's a great book if you want to check it out. You can buy it on Kindle. And uh, here's the quote, and it shouldn't be a surprise if you listen regularly what this is about. And yet to the delight of many people, we shall still eat, not because we're hungry, but because we will delight in the fellowship it affords. So Erwin Lutzer, I, I love that thought. Um, we're going to eat when we get to heaven, and that's really, really good news. I had this mentality that I need to just keep eating a bunch of stuff here because we might not there, but he helped me see it more accurately. We are going to eat there. He references Jesus post-resurrection. He gets to eat some fish, and then you got uh, Revelation, I think it's 1920. Um, the, the wedding supper of the lamb. So food there, I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a good thing. I've already put in an order for chicken wings in a prayer previously today, um, and I got some other stuff I'm going to order in a little bit. I just figure it's going to be waiting. You know, why not order ahead? Uh, but anyway, afterlife, afterlife. What if you were faced with the reality, and, and maybe you are, but what if you were faced with the reality of, of a doctor sharing with you that you had one month to live? If you had one month to live, what would you, you know, once you got over the shock of that, once you got over the grief, what would you do in one month to live? How would you spend the last 30 days that you had on earth? I thought about that for myself, and I think I broke it down into, into four categories. One, I just want to enjoy some of the things that I'd always wanted to enjoy. Two, I'd want to share my faith with as many people as possible. I want to be very vocal about that. Um, three, I want to make sure I'm, I'm investing not in the life that I'm in right now, but in the life that I'm going to. We talked about that last week. And four, I want to provide for the people that are, that are going to be here without me. I think the bulk of what I would do would be more spiritual than physical. Now, why do we start out with that? Because eventually it will be my turn. Eventually it'll be your turn. It'll be our turn to leave this planet and to go to an afterlife either with God or without God. And in light of that, in light of the fact that it's going to be our turn, let's not be naive and wait for a one-month notice if we're lucky enough to get it. Let's live. Let's live for the rest of our life like we'd live in the last month. Let's live with that understanding of what do I really want to do while I'm here, while I'm living and expecting and anticipating an afterlife. 
I'm going to share my faith with as many people as possible. I'm going to enjoy the world that God has for us, uh, that he's given us to enjoy. I'm going to invest in the next life more than in this life. I'm going to make sure that I provide for the people that I love and I care for. I think if we live our re- the rest of our life like we'd live our last month, I think we'd live without regrets, and it brings life into perspective. So um, this morning, I want us to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want us to look at it from the perspective of that when we talk about the afterlife, we should look at it from the perspective of we're excited about it because we know who made it. We know the God who designed it is the same God who created this, this world that we live in now has the joys and the passions and the pleasures. The, the same God that has loved us enough to die on the cross for our sins, he made it, so it's got to be good. Have you ever bought something mostly because of the reputation of the brand? Your brand loyalty is what we call it. Uh, maybe it's an article of clothing or uh, it, it's something in your hobby or an electronic device or a computer or a car, and you buy it largely because of the brand because you have a reputation that's associated with it. One of, one of my brand loyalty things is Chacos. Uh, they are the best sandal in the history of the world. I'm pretty sure they were created by Jesus, but didn't get patented until recently. Uh, but Chacos are awesome. And the thing that I love about Chacos is I love the concept that they're, they're made by whitewater rafters after they picked up on Jesus' idea. Uh, but whitewater rafters who got tired of flip-flops falling off and shoes being soaked and soggy. And, and so they made this sandal that's very durable but still functional. So I, I love the brand because I love their concept. I love their durability, um, and, I, and I love the design. And I think when we look at heaven, I want us to look at it from that perspective, that we know who made it, we know the reputation, we've got a brand loyalty to Jesus Christ. He's the one who gave his life on the cross, the one who shed his blood that I can have a forgiveness of sins, that I can be free from a slavery to sin. He's the one who made it, and he's designed it, and he's got it, it's gonna be durable, um, it, it, the concept is spot on. It's going to be amazing, um, and, and it's going to be designed by him. So 2 Corinthians 5 is where we're going to be this morning. I mentioned that already. I want to give you some background context. All right? So 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul has already visited the Corinthians church, uh, and he's kind of reconciled some issues that have had there, and he left, and, and now a bunch of new people, who are a bit more impressive, who maybe weren't as physically weak, who are maybe a little bit more dynamic in their communication. These guys have come along and they've impressed the Corinthian church and almost to the point where they're starting to say, I can't believe you would follow Paul. He's not really that impressive. He doesn't wow anybody. He puts people to sleep when he preaches. Uh, He's just not that great of a guy. And Paul writes 2 Corinthians and in the part of 2 Corinthians that we're in, It's totally because he's saying, you've misunderstood the gospel if you thought it was about being impressive in this life. If you thought it was being strong and being noticed and being popular and and having a bunch of people impressed with you, you've misunderstood what Jesus Christ has called us to. It's not about wowing people for ourselves. It's about pointing people to him. So 2 Corinthians 5, what he's going to do, he's going to talk about how it really, we shouldn't even be get so concerned with, with our bodies and, and, and how impressive we look because at the end of the day, they're going to break down. And our hope isn't on how we can maintain. I mean, sure, go ahead, maintain and take care of what God has, has given you. But our primary hope shouldn't be on maintaining something that's going to break down. Our primary hope should be on what, has wait, what awaits us, what's been designed by Jesus Christ, 
who's got something in store for us that's going to impress us. So let's check it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that at the earthly tent we live in is, in, in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead, of, instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now then, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us a spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Let's pray. God, I thank you and I praise you for the wisdom that you provide it. Uh, provide for us in, in this text, Lord. I pray that it would become ours in life, that it would change the way our, we live, that it would give us more confidence and more freedom in life and more excitement as we anticipate what comes after. In your name we pray, amen. So what Paul does is he kind of lays out this analogy to say like, we shouldn't be so consumed with investing in, and buying into our hope, being tied to our current physical reality. He says, look, our earthly body is like a tent compared to what God has waiting for us with a glorified body that's like a building that he's got designed in heaven he compares and contrasts the two and he wants us to understand that one of them is not good one of them's breaking down one of them's just kind of naturally deteriorating and the other one is designed in such a way that it's unbreakable now I don't know about you but if you've ever slept in a tent it the tents and, and people think that because I'm an out, outdoor guy, I love tents. I hate tents. Some of my worst experiences sleeping in life have been in a tent. The loudest storm I've ever experienced was in a tent. The, the, the scariest noises I've ever heard while we're when I was in a tent, like the loudest snoring that, that any of my buddies have ever done in a tent. The coldest night I've ever had in my life, in a tent. I, if you're a camper and you think tents are great, that's fine, but there's something a little bit wrong with you. Um, even, even if you like tents, you've got to admit they have their inconveniences, they have their weaknesses. And what Paul's doing here is he's saying, look, don't be so caught up in this life that you get sidetracked to think that what you can do to enjoy and, and to to really just kind of distract you from the reality that, that God is God and that, that life is about Him and it's about His mission. Whatever you do to distract yourself, don't, it's not worth it. Don't get confused. There's a, there's a scene in the show Parks and Recreation where uh, there's a guy, Tom, who is who's, he's just kind of notorious for, for doing everything with the most luxury and fashion as possible. And so they take this, uh, this work retreat where they go camping and it's, it, they show Tom's tent. And Tom's tent uh, is got, it, it's not your normal tent. He's got a TV. He's got an Xbox. He's got a bed, like a full-size bed with, with sheets and pillows. He, he's got um, one of those little vacuum cleaner Roombas. He, he's got a couch with ice cream. He's got all kinds of stuff. And, and you look at it, and you're like, that, man, that's pretty incredible. Um, and, and honestly, honestly, the whole glamping, the glamorous camping, that appeals to me more than regular camping. I think, I think it, it seems a little bit safer and a lot more comfortable and enjoyable. Here's the thing. What Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is you've got to realize that our bodies are like a tent. We have this temptation 
to try to treat our earthly existence like this is our primary existence. That we can live distracted trying to fill it with one thing after the next to try to make up for the, f- the fact that we're living in a broken down world with broken down bodies. Right? Just the other day, like I literally, I sneezed and I'm pretty sure like I pulled a muscle or broke a muscle or bro- broke a, ri- I guess you can't break a muscle, but broke a, broke a bone or something. I don't know. I just from sneezing, my body is breaking down. As we age, our bodies break down. Staff the other day, we were, we were talking about the sermon and they started to make fun of me because of my gray hair. And uh, I was like, you know what? You laugh, but one day I will have my day and you will be the people that start to look old. In fact, in fact, through the beauty of technology, we went ahead and did the advanced aging app on some of our staff. So next time you make fun of your, your boss staff, remember that I'm the one who preaches the sermons and I can say what we get to show and don't show. So look, we've got some photos of staff. Um, so let's start with Connor. This is what Connor's going to look like in like 30, 40 years, which I don't know how the app anticipated that Connor would spend the next 30 or 40 years in the gym, but he totally looks like that guy who used to come to the gym and is now the janitor in the gym. It's probably because he got fired for making fun of me having gray hair. But anyway, that's Connor. Um, Rachel, check out Rachel here. Yeah, um, I, I really can't make fun of Rachel because she looks eerily like my grandmother. And, and so, uh, Grandma Daisy, I love you too much. Um, so, Rachel, you get a pass on that. But Nick, let's talk about Nick. Nick somehow turns into the guy from Ghostbusters with the glasses, um, and, and he just looks like a guy in New York that walks along the street. So, anyway, that, that's, that's them. And the reality is every one of us is going to go through that. Like, none of us can avoid it, no matter how much we spend on beauty products or how much time we spend at the gym we're all going to go through a process where our body begins to fall apart. What Paul is saying is don't be confused. Don't have your hope in something that's falling apart. Have your hope in something that's going to last and be durable, something that Jesus Christ made that's not going to experience the difficulties and, and the realities that we face in this world. It's almost like Paul saying that when something bad happens in this life, when the body begins to break down, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be like, wow, I never thought that, that I have heart issues or wow, I never thought that I could get that diagnosis. Our response is, is more realistically should be, that's about right. We're in a world that breaks down. And so I'm not exempt from that. I'm not the, excuse, I'm not, I'm not the one who is excused from, from breaking down. And, and I know you're thinking, like, well, why, Matt, why were you excited to preach a message about the fact that we're all going to get gray hair, uh, we're all going to fall apart? Why? Because the hope is on the other side of that. Because while we can look at the difficulty and the struggle of this world and say that's about right, there's a God who's going to make it right. There's a God who's going to take our weakness, who's going to take our frailty, and when we show up with him, he's going to make us new. He's going to give us a body that's not going to break down. He's going to give us a body that's not going to age. A lot of people wonder, like, well, what age am I going to look like? I I don't know. But I think it's going to be incredible to experience it, to to have a body that's not going to feel the wear and tear of existence. It's just, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Paul goes on to say, he says, you're not going to be naked. What he means by that is you're not going to just be a soul that's just kind of floating around like a ghost, that Jesus is going to give you a body that's going to hear, that's going to feel, that's going to taste, that's going to touch, that you're going to be able to experience much of life the way we experience it now in a much better way. 
in a reality that's without the pain, without the breakdown of this world. You know, the, the end of that, that passage he gets to, he says, you were made, you were designed for this very purpose. That's a fascinating statement because we tend to think that we were made for this life. But what Paul alludes to is that this life is like the appetizer before the main course. This life is like the waiting room before you get seen. This, this life, it, it, I compare it like this all the time. If you've ever been on a missions trip, you understand that the mission trip is somewhere where you go specifically for the purpose of serving, that you don't go for a vacation. You don't go and say, all right, I'm on the mission trip. Let me find the nearest beach and the nice resort, and I'm going to sit down and relax. No, you go on a missions trip to love people and to love God, and that means you make sacrifices to have the highest influence when you're there. This life is, is really a missions trip. It's us going, God, I'm here right now. I could get distracted. I could find the beach all the time. I could buy all this stuff for myself all the time. Or I could love you and I could love people because I'm here to make a sacrifice because I know, I know that I'm made for a purpose that's not in this world. I'm made to enjoy you in a life that waits for me after death, a life that you're going to carry me through safely. And we talked about if I'm the travel agent, Man, he's the driver, and, and he's the owner of where you're going. He's got you taken care of. Two, two things that I really want to challenge us with in light of that being our real purpose, that being the truest purpose. The first one is this, is that, is that we, in, in a world that breaks down, in a world that struggles, we need to turn complaints into comparisons. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. There are lots of things in this world that we could complain about. Lots of things that we could look and say, I don't want to have to wait in line that long. I don't want to have to buy another one of these because it broke down. I don't want to have to listen to my kids complain. I, I don't want to have to watch a commercial. There, there's just so many things that we could find to complain about this world. And again, it's, it's because this world is not right. What we should do is take our complaints and turn them into comparisons. That's what Paul does in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, what we have now, what we have now is wasting away. What we have there is not. And, and what we have now is, is this sort of broken down world. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not what we can see that we would complain about, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen, what is, what is as he says, is eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We got to turn our complaints into comparisons. So like when I sneeze and break a rib, I'm going, you know what? I, I could sit here and complain about that, but the reality is, I'm going to be in a body one day that's never going to know any of that. I mean, I'll have memories of what that used to be, but there's never a time I'm going to stub my toe and feel the pain. There's never a time that I'm going to break my bones. There's never a time that, that I, I'm going to deal with a diagnosis because what God has for me is a life without that. And so we take our complaints, we turn them into comparisons, and we let it bring joy back to us. You know, it's, it's not even just circumstantial comparisons. But, but let's compare you, not even just the physical you, but the spiritual you. What's the you without any sin going to look like? What's the you without any need to try and turn things and twist them selfishly? 
What's the you without being motivated by what other people are gonna, what, what other people think about you? What's that you gonna be like? The you without sin. I think comparing our struggles now that we face as we struggle to follow after Jesus Christ and we deal with temptations to say, I can't wait for what it's gonna be like where I don't have that anymore. I was thinking about this and, and about my own father and who, who uh, came to know Christ late in life. And, and it was neat for me to see a, a 50-year-old, 54-year-old man begin to show the, the changes of what it meant to, to follow after Jesus of not having, after not having done that for years and years, for decades, and begin to see those changes show up in him and how amazing and incredible it was. And for me to think that now, now my dad, who is who's no longer with us, but he's with Jesus Christ, which is so incredible, I'm going to meet him without sin. I'm going to meet him without without any of the fears or worries that he had and how he tried to satisfy those with addiction or with anger. I'm going to meet my dad without sin. And it's going to be incredible. Absolutely, I think I'll know him. Um, I, I know sometimes people wonder about that. I, I'll quote George MacDonald. Uh, George MacDonald, a great theologian, who's, um, they, they asked him the question, are we going to recognize people in heaven? And he said, are we going to be greater fools in heaven than we are now? Of course we'll recognize people. Of course we'll know him. And I can't wait to meet my dad without sin. You know what else I can't wait to experience? Me without fear. Me without the fear of death. When death is a memory and the experience of death, that, that the pain of death, the uncertainty of what death is going to be like will be gone. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Jesus also shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Every one of us is prone to an enslavement of fear about what death's going to be like. What's existence going to be like when that's gone? That's what we compare to, that there's going to be a time when we're with Christ where we're not a slave to that fear. We're not afraid of risk. We're not afraid of what might happen. We're not afraid of unknown. We're not afraid of, of uncertainty because we have nothing but love and compassion surrounding us forever. I love it. I think it's going to be incredible. I love uh, Dwight Moody, who towards, uh, D.L. Moody, Moody, who towards the end of his life spoke about his death, and he said this. He says, soon you will read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't believe it. For in that moment, I will be more alive than I have ever ever been you and i will be more alive than we will have ever been because we'll be without sin we'll be without fear and we're going to be with people who are going to be without sin and without fear and it's going to be everything that we've longed for in interpersonal relationships as we get to experience love without the way that fear and sin change and weaken and, and just take the foundation out from under love in this earth we get to experience it in all its fullness there I, I'm a travel agent. I hope you're excited to be able to go there. Second, second thing for you to live out, because this is the purpose. The purpose isn't for here. The purpose of enjoying it isn't just isn't here as much as it is there. The, the, the second thing is this is we dis, is that the despair of being dismantled needs to have a dream of being wild. The despair of being dismantled needs to have a dream of being wild. That yes, I'm falling apart. That's not going to get easier the older I get. The fear, that, that despair of being dismantled needs to have a dream of being wild. Uh, what I'm talking about is Revelation 21. And I'm not going to read it. 
I'm not going to do the typical pastor thing where I read the text and I point out some of the key thoughts and I help you to understand it and I make the points. I'm not going to do that this time. Revelation 21, 22, I'm a travel agent. You got to read the brochure yourself. I want you to do this. I want you to find some time this week, maybe even today. I want you to go outside or go in a place that's quiet. Go to a place where you're not worried about what people are going to think about you or you know, say about you. Just get some alone time. Read Revelation 21 and 22. And I just want you to read it knowing that you're going to be physically, spiritually present to be able to experience it. You will be there. And I want you to have this kind of private moment of worship with God where you're going, I'm going to see that. I'm going to hear that. I'm going to say that. Like when people talk, I'm going to be there listening to God. And when the people of Christ respond, that's going to be my voice. And I want you to experience Revelation 21 as much as you can. Revelation 21 and 22, as much as you can on this side of earth. And dream of being wild. I did a wedding for a, a wonderful couple uh, from our church, uh, Mark and Tara, and they're just awesome people. And, and it was a very scaled down wedding because of the context of everything that's going on. But there's one thing that was exactly the same as it would be on a normal wedding, and that is a beautiful bride walking down to a very excited groom. And I love that thought. And I love the thought, thinking back to, to my own wedding, where the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life is not a sunset, it, it's not a beach, it's not a mountain, it, it, it's, it's my wife, my bride, walking down the aisle to me. Revelation 21 and 22 talks about Jesus unveiling the new Jerusalem like a bride presented. It's going to be the most precious thing we've ever seen in our entire existence. I want you to notice a couple of things when you do it. And, and even, by the way, if you're not a person who normally reads the Bible, read it, shoot me messages on Facebook or, or send messages to the church on Facebook, and we'd love to be able to correspond with you, help you read it. But I want you to read it. I want you to notice a couple of things to, to help that experience. Um, the dimensions, I want you to notice the dimensions. Uh, he gives them, he measures it with a, with a gold measuring tape. I think that's pretty awesome to begin with. Um, but it's, one, it's, it's 1,500 miles long, wide, and high the city, the new Jerusalem that God's going to make of, that we're going to live in, we're going to have a, a home in, and we're going to be more home than we've ever been anywhere in our life. It's a city 1,500 miles long, wide, and high. Um, somebody did the math. I, I, I read, I wish I could quote who it was. It might have been Lutzer. He says it's 396,000 stories high. Plenty of room for you to invite everybody you know to believe in Jesus Christ, to have a place that's living after death. Have a life after death. The dimensions are huge. It's half the United States. Um, it, it's going to be incredible. The materials, it's a list of all the highest and most valued and most precious materials are going to be the construction materials then. They, they talk about 12 gates, and each of the 12 gates is made out of a single pearl. Now, I have no clue how God's going to make it, how it's going to how it's going to be there. Honestly, he'll probably just be able to speak it into existence like he did the first time. But I cannot wait to experience it. And here's, here's my hope, is that we look at what waits for us the rest of this life, and we say, I might only have a month. Heck, I might only have a day. Maybe God gives me 50 years. Maybe he gives me 100 years. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm here as long as, as long as I possibly could want to be what am I going to do while I'm here? Because really, my truest purpose is not for this life. It's for the next one. 
So that makes my truest purpose here, not for my enjoyment, not to chase after things for myself, but for me to love God and love people like it's this missions trip to say, God, I'm here for you. And until then, I'm not gonna be a cranky spirit. I'm not gonna be a downtrodden spirit. I'm, I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna have a spirit that's wowed because I know God's about to unveil something that's gonna blow me away. Uh, Lutzer says this uh, about death and, and about this transition. I think it's powerful. And I think it's a good note to end on. He says, death might temporarily take our friends from us, but only to introduce us to the land in which there are no goodbyes. That's what we live for. That's afterlife, a land with no goodbyes, a land made by the same Jesus Christ who spilled out his blood so that we could be with him forever. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you and we praise you that at the end of this all, there's a beginning. And the beginning is really what we were made for, to enjoy you without sin, without fear, without struggles and suffering and, and difficulty, God, that we would be with you forever. Lord, you made it. I can't wait to see it. I'm loyal to your brand. And I pray that until I get there, until we get there as a church, that we would live on a mission to love people for you, to fill that place with as many people as possible. We love you in your son's name. Amen.